Hey everyone, Dave Hagen here. Today as we're coming into the studio, I was thinking that we're coming up on the end of March and we're almost through 25% of the year. I want to talk about that a little bit today. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thanks, Nick. As I was coming in today, it was occurring to me that we're coming up on the end of March, which means that we're already 25% through this year. And it caused me to start thinking about how far along I am in achieving my goals and where I wanted to be this year. The year's 25% over. Have have I accomplished about 25% of what I thought I was going to do? Or is more time just slipping away and stuff's getting put off? For our listeners, how are you doing in achieving your goals so far this year? Do you have any goals? Have you written down any goals? If, if not, it's not too late. Being only 25% in, into the year still means that you've got time to save the year and accomplish some things. So what are those? Do a little mental inventory as you're listening or, or driving or whatever you're doing while you, you listen to the podcast here. And think about that. Did you have three, four, five goals that you wanted to achieve? Financial, personal, physical? How are you doing on achieving those goals? Have you made some progress? What's the next quarter going to look like? How good can you make that next quarter? You know, my football coach years ago said that life is like a, an amusement park and there's all sorts of rides to go on, but the park's only open for a certain amount of time. So you want to get riding as soon as you can. And the same concept is true for this year. There's only a certain number of hours in this year How are you doing in achieving your goals? Well, that's a short one today, but I just wanted to make the point of all of our people listening, and it gives us something to think about in the next week. Uh, Nick's going to be here in just a few minutes, and we're going to talk about some emails and, and get some answers. But for now, this is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagen.com. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button in your app. You will automatically get a reminder each time Dave uploads a new episode. Or you can use the app to share this episode with your friends and family. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, let's get to some emails. We got a little extra time here today. So, Nick, sock it to me. All right. So, after looking through some emails, I found this one from Susan. It says, Dear Dave, I'm writing to you because I want to get your opinion on being a co-signer on my 17-year-old's credit card. As my mother did the same for me when I was 17 to show me the responsibility of having monthly payments and also starting to build my own credit score, I see the opportunity as a positive one. However, don't get me wrong, I also see the potentially negative side in teenagers going wild with their spending, but I personally don't see my daughter my daughter doing that. What you think, Dave? Susan. 
Susan, my advice would be absolutely not to get your child or your kid comfortable with the idea of making monthly payments. I think that's not really where you want to go with that. Um, I don't like the idea of, of that at, at all. Um, teach, your, teach your kid to use cash. Teach your kid to um, preserve their money. Um, this whole idea of you know um, building, helping them build their credit, I think that's, for the most part, a bunch of hooey. There, there, there's ways around that. And um, one of the wealthiest guys I think I ever met doesn't have a credit rating. He, he looks it up and it just says nothing. And in, in fact, someone who works in my office, one of my administrative assistants, she deliberately didn't want to deal with that. And she says that when they run her credit report, nothing comes up. Nothing comes up because she has kept her financial life so simple and so clean um, that nothing comes up. Now, if she ever wanted to go buy a car or you know, whatever, she, she'd have trouble doing that. But she doesn't. She buys a, she buys a car for cash. She saves up money, and and she buys a car for cash. So no, I don't I don't like the idea of keep teaching a kid to use a credit card. Um, you know maybe um, um, you know maybe a, a a card that's got money put on it, perhaps not oh, right. a, not a debit card, but a, a prepaid, like a prepaid card, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But you're not going to have to sign that. The other thing is. Um, you never know uh, what a kid's going to do with the credit card, what a kid's friend is going to do with the credit card, and the hassle of dealing with the credit card company and getting stuff reversed and undoing things that have been done, total mess. Um, you don't know if, if, if your kid's going to you know, go on a trip and uh, you know, spring break and, and buy beers for everybody. I mean, you, you just never know. And to be personally responsible or liable on that, wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. So I wouldn't do it for um, liability reasons, but even more importantly, and especially in terms of what we're about here on the podcast, not getting your child to be comfortable with that message about using using a credit card. Maybe, maybe one that's prepaid with a little bit of money on it. Yeah, it just seems a little problematic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, give your kid cash. And when it's gone, it's gone. And it just figure that's part of your... Um, your budget, your budget monthly for spending money, fund money, whatever. But no, I, I think those are bad messages. And I, I would like to see um, a different message taught in the school system all the way around if I had my way. Yeah. All right. So uh, here's another one, Dave. Yeah. Um, so I, as I was skimming through the emails, I thought this one was uh, kind of funny. It says, this really doesn't have to do anything with financial planning. But as I know you're an attorney, I have a question for you. Every time I get a new phone, lease a car, or basically buy anything, there is always fine print before the dotted line where I need to sign. How important is it that I read the whole thing rather than just skimming it? My time is limited, and sometimes I think it's just pointless lawyer jargon. No offense, LOL. Keep it real, Dave. Thanks for the advice, Brian. Well, Brian, you know, as a general proposition under California law, you're held responsible for, for what you sign. Doesn't matter how small the print is. Doesn't matter where it's printed. You're generally responsible for what you sign. But don't you feel like a dope while you sit there and read it, and everyone else is going, "Come on, come on, come on!" Like you're going into, a, um, you know, like an amusement ride or something, and and uh, and they want you to sign a pre-liability release, <laughs> or you want to rent a a jet ski or a quad or something. And there's, there's always pre-litigation or pre-liability releases. 
and you feel like such a dope. I had this this issue just just three four months ago. We we're in in uh, Hawaii and we we're going to go out on a boat to watch whales, and they give you a three page form to sign a pre liability release, sending your life away. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I took a few minutes and I try and get through it as quickly as I can, just so I can get the gist of it. Um, and make sure that there's nothing totally egregious in there. But you feel like such a a, a dope holding everybody up. They, oh, everybody signs it. Well, I'm not everybody. Right. And I know that, that we're held to a higher standard than just signing your name. And um, there, there certainly are ways that you can avoid that, that release or that liability uh, by claiming that there was an unfair bargaining position or this or that, but you've got to count on a judge to bail you out at a trial, and I don't, I don't like that. So, I take the time to look at it, read it, not word for word, but to get the general gist of what's going on there, and then I, I usually make a joke about it um, because it is awkward, and I say, well, you know, we're we're liable for what we sign and. Who knows what's in there? I didn't want to give away my dog or something, you know? Especially if you're the only one reading it when all right. your friends want to go on a ride or go right. whale watching. Right. But I think it's important. And and I think that it's also an opportunity to be um, um, an, an educator or an object lesson for your friends. You know, hey, just don't don't sign anything. Why would you, why would you do that? You don't know what's in there for sure. Um, I do the same thing when I go to the doctor's office. A lot of doctors have... Um, mediation um, or arbitration provisions where if some issue arises, you have to go to arbitration, which is all good and fine, but I want to know what that provision provides. And and I take the time to, to read it. And again, you know, you feel kind of stupid while you're sitting there, but um, I think it's important to do. There's provisions in there that I've picked up before where they say, hey, uh, you know, whatever body parts we cut off you, we can like give away or sell. What? Right? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. <laughs> and so like if they take a pint of your blood and it turns out that you have a super unique, you know, combination of chemicals or chromosomes or whatever it is in your blood, you can tell I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> whatever is in your blood, they can turn around and market that for billions of dollars and you're, you're kind of out to lunch. Now, I think I've still signed those because believe me, I'm pretty convinced my blood's pretty average. But um, wow, I mean, that's a lot just to slip in on somebody when you're just coming in to see the doctor and, you know, you want to get that antibiotic prescription for your cold or whatever. And and, and by the way, you said, uh, as you can tell, I'm not a lawyer. I think you meant I'm not a doctor. Oh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Not a doctor. Did I say that? Yeah. Okay. Well, we need another cup of coffee here today. But I think that, um, um, you know, we, we need to be more careful about that. In fact, um, here's a, here's a true to life example. I just, uh, uh, saw a case where someone had gone into a car dealership and they had put all sorts of figures into the application about what this person made, um, and what their assets were. And it, she, you know, they didn't have that income or those assets and things didn't work out and some things happened in the family and, and the car ended up going back to the, the bank and um, the person uh, ended up filing bankruptcy to avoid having to pay the uh, deficiency judgment, wow. which is the difference between what the car is sold at an auction for and what the balance of the loan is. That's a deficiency, and, and a lender will come after you in California for that. And so she had, she had filed for bankruptcy to because um, she didn't have the ability to pay that. Right. Um, 
Not that she didn't want to. She didn't have the ability. And then the lender comes back and says, um, hey, look, we've, we've compared what's on the loan application to what's on the bankruptcy paperwork, and it's materially different. You defrauded us, and this debt should not go away. Whoa. Wow. And, you know, the response was, well, you know, the salesman put this all in there. I figured they knew what they were doing, and, uh, you know, I just, I just signed it. Well, the, the, the court's response, it looks like, was going to be, yeah, and I get that, and I feel bad for you, but... You still signed it. You signed it. You're responsible for what you signed. So for, for listeners out there, read it. Don't worry about feeling awkward. You don't have to read it word for word, but get the gist of it. Look at the language so you, you know what you're signing. I think that's, that's important. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you, Dave. All right, I think we got time for one more. Sure. All right, so this one says, uh, hey, Dave, I'm a young professional in his young 30s. I have a beautiful girlfriend named Heather, who I know I'm eventually going to marry. We've been together for the past three years, and I see myself popping the question in the near future. We are currently living in a one-bedroom apartment on the west side in Santa Monica, California. Personally, I'm sick of spending over $2,200 a month for rent and think it's about time for us to start looking into buying a house. Here's where I come to seek your advice. In general, what percentage would you put down as a down payment on your first home? 20%? Additionally, I heard from a buddy of mine that there is some type of tax credit or something similar that the government provides for first-time house uh, homeowners. Other than that, do you have any other pieces of advice for future first-time homeowners? Thanks in advance, Rob. Well, Rob, here's my first thought. Um... You seem pretty confident that Heather's going to say yes when you pop the question. That's exactly what I was thinking, Dave. <laughs> yeah, you, you may be assuming facts, not in evidence, my friend. Maybe <laughs> maybe you should think that through a little bit. And uh, I remember years ago, I, I, my wife and I were up in Santa Barbara and we met a friend and, and um, he said, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm about ready to go pop the question. And then we're going to have a big party tonight. Da, 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 and I, you hope he has the and party. I, and I said to him, I said, what if she says no? Yeah. And, and, and I was kidding him, of course, because he's a good looking guy. But all the blood drained out of his face. And he goes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you never know for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, especially in Southern California and from what I hear in, in New York and a couple other places in the country, real estate's really, really expensive. And to, to throw away 2500 a month uh, or more a month is, is a lot of money to, to, to pay in rent. And, and in, in Los Angeles, a lot of places are a lot more than 2500 I know people listening in you know, Nebraska and Iowa are going to go, whoa, 2500 that's a castle. But you know, out, out here, um, it's, it's super expensive. Get, so Get you a one bedroom, one bath. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I think whenever you go into a real estate deal, you want to put twenty percent down. You get you get a better um, you get better terms on the mortgage. You don't have to pay certain kinds of mortgage insurance typically, um, and you're in better control of the transaction. You're wielding some clout in that transaction. Otherwise, you know the the typical model was eighty percent first, ten percent second, and the last ten percent down. And you don't want to have to deal with a second. You don't have to deal with um, mortgage insurance and, and those kinds of things. So if you can hold out until you can get 20%, I would highly, um, highly encourage that. I think that that's a good idea, something to strive for. And if it means that for two, three years when you're first married, you're, you know, you're going to 
live um, um, in a kind of a financial commando mode, and by that I mean, you know, a small place and rice and beans and, and that kind of stuff, it's worth it because now you've got a joint goal. You've got something for the two of you to, to work on. And then when you've got 20%, you can walk in and get a small place and, and go from there. I don't know that owning a home is the, you know, the the panacea that it once was. I mean, I remember... Um, in the practice 30 years ago, telling people, hey, you got to get some real estate in California. No one's ever lost a dime in California real estate. And now two or three times since then, we've we've seen the market get cleared out and people lose a lot of money. So I don't know that it that it that it is so much anymore. And, you know, the, the federal tax law has been changed so that the deductibility of interest and some of those kinds of things has caps and is smaller. And so it's it's not the thing that uh, it's not the thing that it was. But there is something gratifying about going home on Friday night and knowing that you're going to get up and buy some paint at the depot the next morning and, you know, paint the front room or something. There's something very satisfying about that. So I think you've got to weigh all of those things. But I like 20%, 20% down and, um, um, you know, buy a house that needs a little little fixing up, nothing major. Uh, and by painting it and fixing it up and putting in a little cement or some new grass, you can increase the value and and uh, and do pretty well on it. And, and plus, I mean, it, it's probably nice to come home to a place that you know you're putting equity into. You're putting your own money into your future. Well, that's true, except for the fact that if you are renting, in theory, you're putting a little less out, and that difference you're putting into your savings that's going to generate interest. Oh, we can have a whole long debate on that, Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember back when we bought our house a lot of years ago, um, going through the mental gymnastics of, gee, if I had to taken that down payment and put it in the bank or put it in the market, and because there were a couple of good run-ups back then, um, I would have been sitting on a million dollars easy. But I wouldn't have had a, a backyard for a dog and you know, my, my kids' handprints in the cement over by the trash cans and that kind of stuff, right. you know. Um, we recently changed out carpet, and it was so cool because they, they pulled the carpet back, and there was some cement that we had put in under the carpet. And uh, there was my son's handprint from, like, two, 2007. It was so cool. And I said, hey, hey, come over and look at this. And my son's going, Dad, Dad, that's so uncool. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool to me. I thought it was so cool, you know. What a good dad. Yeah, yeah. And and someday we'll sell that house. And, you know, I don't know what the, the new people are going to think with all these handprints and names and stuff around the house. Yeah, but. I'm just thinking about when I was a kid and my mom, she would... Uh, tag how like uh, as i got older how how much i grew mm-hmm. <laughs> and she probably still has that in her closet yeah well for us the rite of passage was when you were grown up then that that they paint over it finally yeah <laughs> you know because well, we don't need that anymore so yeah i mean good stuff to own a house a lot of sacrifice a lot of satisfaction but but most importantly don't buy too much house um something that's a lot bigger that, than you need and and go in with 20 percent down. I, I hope that I hope that helps Rob, and uh, most importantly, I hope she says yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. I think we're out of time. All right, everybody. Till next time. This is Dave Hagen, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions. Email them to Dave at DavidRHagan.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.